Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. Bible, open it up to Acts 20, verse 17. If not, there's a Bible in front of you. You can grab that and open up to Acts 20, 17. Um, this morning's message is like a little bit different for me because um, the, the passage um, and everything it says is really directed more at the leadership of the church than, than anything else. It's definitely very applicable for all of us. Don't get me wrong. But this is kind of like a sermon that if you had a bunch of, uh, of pastors, church leaders in a room, you'd want to preach this sermon to them. And so you guys get to, um, to listen in on this and see what it is that the Lord is asking of your leaders at this church. What Jesus is the king of this church demands of us and the things that he is wanting to do through us. Um, I'll never forget, 23 years ago, uh, I started working here. And uh, I was a junior high director, and one of the first things we did was this, this thing called uh, Strive, and it was a, it was a, uh, a service thing in, in, our, in our town. We did a bunch of service things. One of the things we did was we went to this church on the south side, and we were helping them with some, some projects. And I was nervous. I didn't know what I was doing. It was kind of like my first or second week on the job, so I'm just like, uh, you know, you know that feeling. And so we get to that church and I'm like, okay, I gotta go introduce myself. I'm in charge, so I gotta go introduce myself to the guy. And so the senior pastor of the church comes out and he's greeting us and I, and I shake his hand and I, you know, hey, I'm Travis Edgerton. I'm the, I'm the, the, the junior high director at First, you know, First Baptist Church. That's what the name of the church was back then. I'm the director of junior high ministries at First Baptist Church. Nice to meet you. And he just kind of smiles and looks at me. This guy in his probably 60s and he looks at me and he just says, well, I'm Dave. I'm the chief window washer and floor sweeper here. This was the senior pastor, right? And uh, I'll never forget that because here was this guy who's in charge of this church and, uh, you know, leaders tend, you know, in our culture tend to want, uh, you know, some kind of praise or adoration or be known, you know, known and to be adored. And he was just taking himself and saying, I'm down here, I'm a servant. And I've never forgotten that. I don't, I, I've never seen the guy again. Um, but he, in a, in a very significant way, taught me a whole lot about leadership in the church. That one comment, one comment. Um, and that one comment, among other things, has stuck with me for a long time, that Jesus's way of leadership is right side up to our culture's way. If we look to our culture and see how leaders lead, there are some really good, loving leaders in our culture for sure. But the, the main way of leadership in our culture is power and using power over people and using power... Um, to get what you want. And, um, and I think that Jesus's way of leadership is completely upside down from that. So we wanna see that this morning in this passage. Uh, Acts 20, verse 17, read with me. It says, now Paul, now from Miletus, he, Paul, sent to Ephesus, about 30 miles away, and called the elders of the church of Ephesus to come to him. So Paul is in a town a little bit south of Ephesus and he's not gonna be swinging through Ephesus so he wants to see these elders. And that's the terminology that was used in the New Testament times for leaders. They didn't use the word pastors as much as they used the word elders and deacons and things like this. So elders, from this point on in this, in this sermon, uh, we're talking about the leadership of the church, okay? Um, but he calls these elders to, of the church to come to see him. Paul is addressing a very specific group of people. 
These are elders. These are people who have been called by God and appointed by the church to be the leaders of the church. And I wanna say this about elders. Elders, leaders of the church are servants of Jesus who guide the church. They are servants of Jesus who guide the church. They are called to contend for faithfulness to Jesus. Your church leaders here at this church, we are called to contend for your faithfulness to Jesus. As much as we love you, as much as we want you to be happy, our goal and our job is not your happiness or your comfort or your convenience. Our job is your faithfulness to Jesus. And that's what we're to work hard for is for your faithfulness to him. And also, we'd love to make you happy too if we can on the way. But that's not the point, is it? How does an elder contend for the church's faithfulness to Jesus? They do it by teaching, living, and guarding the message and mission of King Jesus. You need to be regularly hearing from us what the message of Jesus is, what his way of life, not only just hearing us talk about Jesus' way of life, but it's really important that you see us live his way of life. If you're expecting perfection in that, you will be very, very disappointed. Ask my family. But that we are living our lives in that trajectory, in that, that direction of honoring Jesus with every part of our lives. We should be living it, we should be teaching it, and we should be guarding that message. And not just the message of Jesus, not just what we believe, but what we do, the mission of Jesus to be disciple makers in our world. That's our job. That's what we're here for. That's what we need to labor long days and sometimes long nights for. Now Paul starts talking about his own example that he set for the Ephesian elders. Verse 18, he says, and when they, the Ephesian elders, came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you. Remember that, how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. Asia was how they referred to a, a part of Turkey, modern day Turkey today. From the first day I set foot in Asia, I was among you, serving the Lord, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. We've read about several of these over the past weeks. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, in public and in private, I said the same thing. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of what? Repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That was his message. So I think it, it bears to say here, like, is Paul stopping, like, bragging, like, before he leaves the Ephesian elders, he's like, hey, I just want you to know all the great things I've done. Is he bragging here? Not at all. That's not what is happening here. He's passing the baton. As we'll read later, Paul doesn't expect to end up back in Ephesus. And so he's saying to them, I've called you here because you have a job that God has assigned to you. I've set an example for you. I want you to remember the things I've done and how I've sacrificed for you because God is now calling you to do that for the church in Ephesus. My assignment is your assignment. So Paul recalls the way he lived and served them. And I wanna just draw some of that out of this passage. First thing I wanna draw out is this. He lived life with people, verse 18. Paul was not living in this ivory tower where you could never talk to him, could never reach him. Paul was living in and amongst the people of that church. He was accessible. 
Leaders in the Christian church should not be ivory tower leaders who are inaccessible that you only ever see on Sunday preaching from up here, but then they disappear and they're not with you. Preachers and teachers, leaders in the church of Jesus are to be living life with their brothers and sisters in Christ because we're no better than anybody. There's a lot of people in the church that are way more mature than we are. And we must be living life in and amongst or else how will we serve you? How will we love you? How will we sacrifice for you if we're never together? So living with people. Second thing I wanna draw out is this, is he talks about that he served the Lord. Now, Paul certainly was serving people, but the ultimate object of his service and his responsibility was to the Lord. You need to know and understand that your leaders here at the church, their first responsibility is to the Lord. And we are called to serve you and love you and sacrifice for you. But if our obedience to Jesus comes into conflict with something you want from us, we've got to choose Jesus. We are serving the Lord. And, and frankly, that's the kind of leader you should want in the church. Because if your desire is to fully follow Jesus, then the person that's leading you, you want them on that same course. And sometimes as sheep, and I'm one of those sheep, Sometimes sheep want to go a different direction than where the lead shepherd, Jesus, is leading. And that's what we want. And when a shepherd, an under-shepherd, a leader says, no, we've got to go this way, it makes us mad and we bite. And we get angry because you're doing something that I don't want to do and it frustrates me and I don't like it and it's not my preference. But we as followers of Jesus should not be addicted to our preferences. We should be sold out for the mission and way of Jesus. And so when your leaders, to the best of their ability, are trying to follow Jesus, realize that they've got to pick that over making you happy or pleased. It's not that we don't want you to be happy or pleased at all. Like, man, I would love it if everyone in this church all the time was pleased with everything we did. Believe me, especially with song selection. My goodness. I would love that, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. That's not the point. The point is King Jesus having his way with us, the church, moving us in the direction he wants us to. That's the point. So that's what leaders are called to. Supposed to humbly accept the sorrow and accept the trials that come because of leadership. Um, that's just a reality of any kind of leadership. And, and the, the call that Paul has through his own uh, efforts and how he lived with the, the Ephesians was to humbly accept the tears, humbly accept the trials. Elders, leaders are called to please the Lord, embracing humility and enduring the hardship that comes in not pleasing man. It should be a joy for us to say yes to Jesus, even when that means there's hardship because of it. Consider it pure joy, brothers, when you face trials and hardships of all kinds. We wanna joyfully, humbly obey Jesus, even when we can't please man. Paul didn't withhold any truth. He talks about how in public and in private and with Jews and Gentiles, among any group of people, and in any situation, he was saying the same thing. 
even if it brought him pain. And his message in every one of those situations was repentance towards God by faith in Jesus. Church, I wanna just make this really clear once again as we have hundreds of times. In our salvation, our being saved by Jesus, there is no substitute or detour or additive to Jesus. He is the only way. And so the elder's message must be faith. And faith is believing loyalty to Jesus. That's what faith is, believing loyalty. It's not just something I think in my head. Faith is not just, I think this in my head and so therefore I trust it. No, no, no. Faith in scriptural terms is not only that I believe it in my head, but I am loyal to the one I believe. Faithfulness. Faith in Jesus creates faithfulness in us towards him. Believing loyalty. We do not get saved by what we do. We do not get saved by works. We are not going to go to heaven because we checked a bunch of boxes. The box that needed to be checked was a perfect sacrifice. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. And we are given salvation by trusting in him. And so your elders must preach faith. Your teachers, your leaders must be encouraging your faith in Jesus, must be teaching you to trust him more. And I believe that believing loyalty, faith, will produce behavioral loyalty, which is obedience. There's no such thing as a faith in Jesus that is a disobedient faith. Can we have moments of disobedience? Oh yeah. Can we have times where we get into some patterns that are disobedient? Sure. I was sitting with a seminary professor of mine for lunch over in Santa Clara the other day, and he's retired now, but we were just talking about faith. And I was just talking about the, the, the struggle of, of explaining that, yeah, we're not saved by what we do, but our faith in Jesus produces obedience. And he said, well, Travis, next time you're with your church and you're preaching, ask them this. Please describe to me a disobedient faith. What would that even look like? True faith in Jesus that's also disobedient? It doesn't exist. Disobedience in our lives will exist, but our faith will be pushing us to greater obedience and holiness before God. Our faith will produce behavioral loyalty and obedience to him. So then Paul moves on in verse 22 and starts talking about his departure and this passing of the, the baton to them. Verse 22 says, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. What was this ministry? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. To testify to the gospel, the good news of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul is leaving this region that he's been ministering in, and he's being sent by the Holy Spirit to Jerusalem. 
and he knows what the Holy Spirit has assured him that real hardship, imprisonment, trials await there. And we'll see that as we continue in the book of Acts at a further point. So why would Paul go to a place that he knows trials await? Why would he jump into the fire if he could go a million other places? It's because his life only feels valuable to him if he is also faithful to his assignment. If his life was being unfaithful to his assignment, it didn't hold any value to him. What am I here for if I'm not doing what the Lord Jesus told me I ought to do? That was his heart. That was his belief. And his assignment was to testify to the good news of God's grace. And apparently the Holy Spirit wanted him to do that also in Jerusalem. And so he was going despite the pain. Here's the result of Paul's obedience to Jesus. He's leaving the elders of Ephesus in charge now. He's saying, I'm not gonna be swinging back through. You can't look forward to me coming back and bolstering things up and making things happen and correcting things. Elders of Ephesus, that's your job now. If they, just think psychologically on this, if they would have thought, well, Paul will keep coming around and come through Ephesus, perhaps in their mind they would be like, well, we'll do our job, but you know, he'll come and fix stuff. He's saying, that's not happening anymore. You all have to lead this church. It's emotionally hard, but now instead of just Paul being the figurehead or the leader of that church, he's removed himself. And now these multiple elders, there are many doing what just one was doing before. That's not to assume that the elders hadn't been working hard before Paul gave them this but I think it was a change of, of mind. <laughs> Reminds me of a story that uh, some of you know, Terry Benner, he used to be a pastor here, he's passed away. But um, he, he told me a story one time that he was getting ready to go um, off to college. He's gonna, I think he went to Humboldt, something like that. And um, he packed up his truck and he was getting all of this stuff in and he got in the truck and he's gonna back out of the, the driveway and his dad, you know, he was living with his parents at the time and his dad, you know, walks up to the truck and leans in on the window and, and says, now Terry, and Terry's expecting his dad to say, you know, I'm proud of you, I love you, I'm here for you, anything you need, let me, let me know. And, he, and his dad didn't say that. His dad said, now Terry, I want you to know that as soon as you back out of this driveway, you are never living here again. You can visit, you can come by and say hi, but this will never be your home again. Think about that as you drive. <laughs> so Terry backs out and he's driving to Humboldt and he's just thinking, I better take this thing seriously. <laughs> I better get a good job when I'm done with this. And, and I think Paul was definitely a much, being much more gracious to the elders in Ephesus than that. But in a way, I wonder what their walk back to Ephesus felt like. As they walked back together, what were their conversations? Like, guys, we're, we're responsible, and we better take this seriously. We don't have Paul as a safety net. We need to do what God has called us to do with all diligence and all heart. And Paul was completely clear-conscienced. Is that a, he had a clear conscience. 
in his ministry to release this ministry to the Ephesian elders because he did all that Jesus had asked him to. He says, there's no blood on my hands. I've done what Jesus asked me to do. And now it's your turn. And he had a clear conscience about that. So what gives an elder in Jesus's church a clear conscience? It's living and declaring the whole counsel of God to God's people. That's why Paul says he doesn't have any blood on his hands. He says, I've declared the whole counsel of God to God's people. And I think he means by that, I've also lived it. I'm not just saying it, I'm also living it. What gives an elder a clear conscience is not worldly metrics of success. It's not popularity, it's not money, it's not writing books, it's not drawing huge crowds, it's not pleasing people. What gives an elder in Jesus' church a leader clear conscience is pleasing the Lord by faithfully living and teaching the way of Jesus. That's the call. That's the assignment. No more and no less. Afflictions and imprisonment. I want you to notice this. Affliction and imprisonment that Paul was seeing that were gonna happen were not the worst case scenario for Paul. If they were, he wouldn't have gone to Jerusalem. But to him, getting imprisoned, getting the afflictions that would come there, that wasn't worst case scenario for Paul because he went to Jerusalem. Instead, worst case scenario for Paul was unfaithfulness to Jesus and to the assignment that Jesus gave him. For Paul, I'd rather be imprisoned, I'd rather go through hardship than to say no to my King Jesus. This fills me with courage. This fills me with courage. I hope it fills you with courage that you would consider your life not worth saving if only you can be in the will of God. See, this isn't just applicable to leaders, is it? This is applicable to all of us. I think you'll find that everything that is said today about leadership in the church and what is expected of them, it's also just what's expected of people who follow Jesus. The leaders have to be especially sure that they live this way consistently. For Paul, being an extraordinary leader wasn't success. Being an extraordinary follower was. For Paul, the mark of success in his ministry was following Jesus faithfully. In God's church, leaders must be followers first. You, if, you, if you have a deep desire to follow our Lord, what you don't want in the leaders of this church, me, Matt, Kyle, Brett, others, what you don't want from us is people who will come up with a plan and get the plan done and make great things happen all the while not following Jesus. Do you want to follow Jesus? Then your leaders must follow Jesus first and foremost. My job is not to be the most extraordinary leader there ever was. My job is to be the most extraordinary follower there ever was. Because if I'm following Jesus and I have some people following me, then really they're following Jesus. That's the point. That's what godly Christian leadership is, is amazing followership. We must follow first. Now people ask So what's the plan? Where are we going? What's the church gonna do? What are we about? Where are we going? And that's a fair question. I I like talking about that. 
question and answering that question, but I wanna give you the most honest and fair answer that the Bible allows me to on that. Where is the church going? What are we doing? We're following Jesus wherever and into whatever he asks us to. Sometimes he lets us know ahead of time. That's awesome. It's great to kind of get, hey, what, what does God want? Well, in a year from now, this is what he wants. It's great to know some things ahead of time. But sometimes in his wisdom, he does not tell us ahead of time. He says, I want you to trust me. And when I tell you to do it, I want you to do it. Do what? I'll tell you when we get there. That may sound like an excuse for not planning. I promise you it's not. We've done a million plans. I've planned a million things. Do you know how many worship services I've planned? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And I'm so sad to say how many of those plans, I did it because it was on my calendar, but not because the Lord was telling me what to do. That I filled the service with things that may have been good things, but they weren't where the Lord was leading. And I've promised myself, I don't ever wanna lead like that again. If Jesus isn't saying it, I'm not doing it. Sometimes he does let us know ahead and sometimes he doesn't. But charging ahead and going somewhere Jesus hasn't instructed just to say we're doing something and we're going somewhere is not leadership. It's foolishness. It's the blind leading the blind. The job of your leaders is to be so close to Jesus that we hear from him when he speaks and that we obey quickly when he speaks and lead you to obey quickly when he speaks. That's our job. That's what we're called to. So you wanna know the plan? I wanna tell you the plan. The plan is this. Stay with Jesus. Obey Jesus. Follow Jesus. And any other plan or way of success is failure. Paul now gets to this point in verse 28 where he just gives this very strong commissioning to the elders and gives them very specific instructions for what they must do and be about. Verse 28, he says this. Pay careful attention to, one, yourselves. You, the elders, pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise. And from, from among your own selves, he's speaking to the elders of the Ephesians church. He's saying, from among you all, there might be some who raise up as wolves. That's scary speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them, after who? The wolves. A wolf is gonna draw people away after themselves. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God. I'm handing you over to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The Ephesian elders must lead diligently and courageously, and so must your leaders here at the church. We must be diligent and we must be courageous. 
We can't quit when it's hard or just get out of dodge when people criticize or resist or attack or when there's hardship or hard things the church is going to. A leader does not abandon the flock. A shepherd does not abandon the flock when the flock is in need. Are there times that we want to? Sure. Sure. We're all weak at times. But a shepherd stays with the flock and guards them from from the things that would draw them away. He says to pay careful attention. First, to yourselves. Leaders of the church must pay attention to their life and doctrine. If I get up here and say a bunch of stuff that I'm not willing to live, you shouldn't follow what I'm saying. Well, if it's true, you should, but you shouldn't follow me. We have to watch our lives and our doctrines closely. Am I in Christ? Am I following him? Am I obeying him? Am I growing to become more like him? Do my words and my actions match? Elders, leaders in the church need to be looking into each other's lives and keeping each other accountable for this. Making sure that we're walking the straight and narrow road that Jesus has called us on. And then he says, you need to pay attention, pay careful attention to all the flock. Leaders of the church must also pay attention to the life and doctrine of the flock they shepherd because elders are overseers. They are called to watch over the church in some specific ways. In what ways are leaders in the church called to watch over the flock? First, by protecting them from those who would lead them astray. Our culture is, is not, uh, it is full of beliefs, and thoughts and ways of living that would lead you astray from the very narrow gate that Jesus has asked us to walk through. And as leaders, you should expect us to be looking out for those things and and guarding you from beliefs that would draw you away from Jesus and keep your eyes on Jesus and keep you focused on Jesus. That's your responsibility too, because we can't do it if you're resisting. But that's our job, one of our jobs to keep your eyes on Jesus, focused on him and protect you from the errant things that come in, whether through wrong teaching or things in our culture that would want you to think differently than the scriptures say. It is our job to continue to lead you in the right way. We also must know and teach the scriptures and warn when unbiblical beliefs seep in. This happens all the time because we live in our culture and we can't help but kind of absorb in things that we pick up for, that aren't true, that the, the enemy would love for us to believe about ourselves, about the church, about God. We need to be protecting against that. Elders also must keep, must keep watch, keep each other accountable to the way and the word of Jesus so that they themselves don't become wolves. As a leader in this church, amongst other leaders, I am responsible to make sure that we don't become wolfy. That wolfishness doesn't seep into our leadership. That using you for the sake of our own gain never seeps in. And others are supposed to keep me accountable to that. If we start seeing wolfy nature or wolfy behavior, we're supposed to call each other out lovingly and correct it. Because God forbid that a wolf get into leadership of the church. My friend Ben came up to me after the first service and he said, have you ever seen a wolf get in a sheep pen? He's a farmer. I'm like, no, I've never seen that. He's like, it's awful. It's awful. 
he said that the damage they do when they're in there is worse, but the cleanup is even worse. The cleanup afterward is even worse. Interesting take. So I wanna tell you some marks of wolves so that you can be aware. And frankly, if any of us ever go this direction, you can call us out on it. Not trying to feather our bed here. There's some things we need accountability on. Here's the deal. Here's the marks of wolves that I see in scripture. Um, They draw people after themselves rather than to King Jesus. That's one of the big signs. That's what Paul says, they draw them after themselves. It's about them, it's about you following them. It's about, that's my pastor, oh, my pastor. Ooh, he's great, he's amazing. If that's what you're thinking, you've lost the point. Jesus is the one you should be thinking about. Not Matt, not me, not Brett, not, not anyone other than Christ. Don't be drawn after a man. Be drawn after Jesus. Wolves also are the center of attention. They are made much of. They are great. They're the great leader. They, and they are the, they're, they're the center of attention and they peddle Jesus as a means to personal gain. There are people in ministry who will talk about Jesus and preach the Bible and get up and say how wonderful God is, but all the while they're doing it for personal gain. That is a wolf. Stay away. A wolf will never teach obedience to Jesus if that obedience will thin out their flock. A wolf wants plenty of food available to them. And so they're not gonna say things that make people go away. They're not gonna say things that offend people. They're not gonna say things that are hard to hear. Why? Because they wanna keep as big a flock around as they possibly can so they can have plenty of food. A wolf's not gonna say hard things. A wolf will never point to the narrow road because few will walk it. Jesus said, narrow is a road that leads to salvation and few will enter it. Wide is a road that leads to destruction and many will enter it. A wolf will not point you to the hard, narrow road that it is to follow Jesus and obey him because they want you around so that they can use you. A wolf will not point you to listening to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will point you to Jesus rather than the wolf. You will not hear a wolf saying, you need to do what the Holy Spirit's telling you to do, follow him. And I will encourage you and I will back you up because that wolf wants you to follow him. Second Timothy four, it's Paul's writing as well. He says, for a time will come when they, the church, will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. A wolf will tell you things you wanna hear and tickle your ears with things that please you and make you comfortable and stoke your convenience and your control over your own life. They will tickle your ears to keep you near them so that they can profit from you. A shepherd will not do that. A shepherd will speak truth lovingly, even when it's difficult truth. So in summary, a wolf will always tell you the things you want to hear so that you will stay pacified, deceived, and comfortable in their flock. 
not Jesus's. They will keep pacified. They will keep you pacified, deceived, and comfortable in their flock. So Paul says to the Ephesian elders, be alert, don't fall asleep. Don't fall out of the window like Eutychus did last week. Remember that? Don't, don't fall asleep at this job and fall three stories to your death. Leaders, stay awake, stay alert, be aware of what's happening, love your people, care for them, and keep following Jesus. Because wolves will arise in the church, elders must be on alert, both to danger, the danger of wolfishness rising in others and wolfishness rising in themselves. Even this morning as I was rereading my notes, I was like, God, is there anything that I'm being wolfy? If there's any wolfiness in me, God, would you please show me? Because I'll just either fix it or I'll quit. I don't want to hurt these people I love. It's a sobering thing. Leaders in the church must not coast in this assignment and look for the easy road. Even if it causes tears and sleepless nights and difficult days, an elder must be willing to endure the hardship of calling people to obedience to King Jesus. If we can't stick in with calling people to the obedience of King Jesus, because that's a hard road and people often don't want to do it, and there's a lot of pushback and biting and difficulty, but if we're not willing to stick through it, we can't be a leader. That's the calling. That's the narrow road. And you should expect us to stay on it. You should expect us to endure, to persevere. Because after all, who is leading the church? God is leading the church. Paul commends the Ephesian elders to God and to God's word. Jesus is our senior pastor. (laughs) Jesus is our head shepherd. Not anyone you get up here and see speak on Sunday mornings. We're under shepherds. Jesus is the head shepherd. He is leading the church. And what does King Jesus require of the leaders in his church? That his word and his gracious gospel are to be obeyed and proclaimed to all who will listen in all the nations. That is Jesus' calling on the leadership of his church. And the intended outcome of faithful leadership in the church is this, spiritual maturity, holiness, and readiness for the inheritance that comes when Jesus returns. Jesus is returning. As spiritual leaders, our job is to do everything we can to prepare you to be faithful so that when he returns, Jesus will find you at work at his mission, will find you faithful, will find you obedient, will find you more holy than you were five years ago, walking in obedience more than you were three weeks ago, knowing him, loving him, adoring him, obeying him, and bringing the good gospel of God's grace to the world around us. That's what we're charged to charge you with. Sanctification. This is a word that means holiness. 
the becoming more holy that prepares us for an inheritance. When Jesus comes and returns, he brings an inheritance with him that we will rule with him. Will we be faithful rulers with him? It just doesn't happen overnight. That's why we have to learn to be faithful in this life. Paul talks about the motives of a faithful elder in verse 33 through 35. Read this with me. He says this, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. I didn't want anything from you. I didn't ask you to make me rich. I didn't ask you for anything. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities. His own hands ministered to his necessities. And to those who were with me, Paul also provided for those who had come with him on this mission. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we, he's now including the Ephesian elders in this, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The what and how of an elder's assignment is so important. What elders do and how they do it is so important, but why they do it is so, so very important. It'll guide all the others. Leading Jesus's church is not a means to wealth or a life of ease. Ministers of the gospel must expect that hard work and sacrifice for the flock are part of the assignment. And sometimes it can feel overwhelming. And sometimes it can make you want to quit, but I have to continue to remind myself to not feel sorry for myself when it's hard, but to say, this is what you signed up for. Be humble about it, accept it, and keep moving forward. The church needs you to. Shepherds do not peddle Jesus for wealth or possessions. In other scripture, Paul actually does instruct churches to provide a living for those who work diligently to lead them. That's 1 Timothy 5. You can look that up on your own. But a church leader should never be in ministry as a means to wealth and material gain. This motive will shipwreck their mission. An easy job, checking the boxes, just doing what's necessary, but never sacrificing. That is not a shepherd. That is not a leader. Rather, an elder in the church must be motivated by what they can give not what they can get. I need to be motivated by what I can give to you, not what I can get from you. Now, leaders in your church are sheep also. We're fellow brothers and sisters and we do need you and we do need your care. We're, we're, again, we're not ivory tower leaders. We need you. We need to be cared for sometimes, a lot of times. But, but that's not our motivation. Our motivation should be, I want to spend my days and my nights and my prayers loving my family, loving my church, giving. And we see the heart of a faithful leader in verse 36. It says, and when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on, all, on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again and they accompanied him to the ship. Do you see the deep emotion between Paul and those he discipled? Paul's relationship with these Ephesian elders was more than practical or organizational. It wasn't a club. It was a family. 
It was close and it was incredibly meaningful. When he's saying, you're not gonna see me again, they wept. And the literal words mean they threw their arms on his neck. They threw themselves on his neck and kissed him. What a reminder that as the family of God, we must sink our roots deep in God, but also we must sink our roots deep in the relationships we have with our brothers and sisters. This is not a tenuous relationship with, we have. This is not a distant relationship we should have. We should be sinking our roots deep into each other as well as into the Father. We should be as inseparable as people can be. We're family. And when people have to go because they're assigned elsewhere like Paul was, there should be a weeping that happens because we love each other so much. Now, I know we can't all know each other that well, but do you know anyone that well? Do you love anyone that much in this family? A faithful leader does not look at their assignment as a career or as an opportunity to advance their ambition. A faithful leader sees their assignment as loving, leading, and serving a family. A commentator, John Whitaker, said this to sum up this passage. He said, elders, what's your job? Is to work hard for the faithfulness of God's people. To work hard for the faithfulness of God's people. I know that your leadership here at this church will not be perfect. We have not been perfect. We will not be perfect. Sometimes we will disappoint, and sometimes that's not because you're in the wrong. It's because we are. Um, But I can tell you with a very clear conscience and deep conviction in my soul, I know the people who lead this church. And we do it. Did this last service too. (laughs) Said I wasn't gonna. We do it because we love God. We really love you. So don't expect us to be perfect. But do, please do expect us to be faithful to God and to you. We're a family. We love you. Would you take your communion? I want to have a special focus as we focus on Jesus through communion this morning. I want us, as we remember him, as he told us to do this thing we do every week, to remember him, but remember something very specific about him. To remember that the existence of the church, what we do, who we are, the family we are, is not about the pastors, it's not about the leaders, it's not about the different ministries. We gather around Jesus, the person, the king, And so when we take this bread and drink this cup, we're remembering that no mere human being is the center of this church. 
the God-man, the one who is fully God, who is fully man. He's the king and leader of this church, amen. Take a moment, and with the bread in your hand, would you consider Jesus as your king? What that means, what that means for you, what that means for us. Prepare your heart, and then we'll eat the bread together in a moment. Jesus, today we come and we gather around your table and we remember that you are at the head of the table. You, the one who stooped down and washed our feet, cleansed us of our, our sin, you are the head of the table. You are the king. You are the one this is all about. So we eat this bread in remembrance of our king, Jesus. And Jesus, we also remember that this cup, you spoke about it being the blood that you spilt on the cross, the blood that enacted the new covenant that salvation is given to us by grace alone, through faith alone. We remember this, we remember you, and we drink this cup in remembrance of your blood that has saved us. Let's drink it together. Jesus, you are the best thing, the highest one, King of kings, Lord of lords. And we give our life and our heart and our convictions and our blood and our sweat and our tears to be faithful to you and faithful to the mission that you've given us to complete. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Thank you.